0: Okay, Pete Giuliano, it is Friday, the 5th of August, 2022. Pete, what, what number is this now?
1: Number two three nine two thirty-nine. 239. Crank it in, Robert. Crank it in, Ralph.
0: All right, Pete. Can you see me okay? Because I can't sure. see myself. I don't know where I am. Yeah, you're squaring the shot. All right, You're right
1: good. there. I'm looking right at you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Uh, Pete, thank you for getting up early in the morning. Uh, wait a second. This is, yeah, we got the numbers, 239. And I gave the date and everything. I'm a little discombobulated this morning, but I know, but were you, you were making a big sacrifice. You're up early in the morning and you had some dental procedures.
1: Yes, I did. Lower right tooth here. Oh, man, the but canine, you're, you're...
0: Canine tooth. This is the, this is the, the dedication that, that Pete has. He's he's with us in spite of all this.
1: I, I got to tell you a story. This is funny. This is funny. You, you know, you... Don't go through life without having a sense of humor. You have to. And and, and the dentist who removed the tooth yesterday is a periodontist, and she's Chinese and a really nice-looking YL. But you can tell she came from China because she has a little bit of an accent, but excellent, excellent. So I said to her, after she pulled the tooth, I said, "Well, well, with the tooth gone, will I be able to whistle now? And she said, of course. I said, Well that's good, because I couldn't whistle before <laughs>
0: <laughs> You gotta look on the bright side, Pete.
1: <laughs> she didn't know what to say.
0: <laughs> you blowing people's minds around the world here, Pete Giuliano. All right. Hey, listen, we got a lot we got a lot to cover here and I know your your time is really you're on a time crunch lately, yeah. so we're gonna we're gonna get right to it, man. Travelog. I was thinking, what can we put in that travelog? And I guess the best thing we could put this month is not travel that I've done or you've done, but that we've all done through the James Webb Space Telescope. A huge success. 300 points of failure. We were all biting our fingernails and worrying for weeks. The thing is out there at the Lagrange points, a million miles from Earth. It's taken infrared pictures from the early universe. It's just fantastic. I mean, I put up on the blog the one picture, like the the deep field picture that they took, where they, they just picked a section of the sky and focused the camera. I think they only focused the camera for about two hours on this location. Pete, the location was the equivalent of a grain of sand held at arm's length. And in this picture, just to the layman's eye, you can see hundreds, if not thousands, of galaxies just in a randomly selected grain of sand space of the sky. Really fantastic stuff. You know, they got to do it at infrared for a couple of reasons. One, infrared gets gets you past the gas clouds and the junk better. But also, the really far stuff is redshifted so far that it's shifted into the infrared. So if you want to look all the way back, you know, billions of years into the past, into, into space time, You've got to shift to red, you've got to shift to infrared. So just fantastic stuff there. I, I love looking at the pictures from the James Webb Space Telescope.
1: There's two pieces of critical information. That was designed ten years ago. Yep. Ten years ago. Just think. What's being designed today and <laughs> what's in what's in the web follow on?
0: Oh I mean, man, that, I know. That's,
1: that was ten year old technology in there. So we've got to keep that in mind. I mean, just amazing.
0: It's just amazing stuff. The other thing I found out sort of in this along the same lines is uh, I was in a Barnes and Noble bookstore uh, uh, the other day and I, I was looking at Sky and Telescope magazine and I started remembering it's about time for Mars to return to opposition. Oh. I remember, you know, it was two years ago that I was looking at, at Mars. Thanksgiving. Right, I, right. And I, you know, I, it, it was really, really good. But But now it's coming back to opposition a little bit later. It's going to be in opposition in early December. So I'm going to get my telescope ready and go out there and start observing Mars again. It's going to be good times. Pete, maybe I'll do my bench first because you've been kind of under the gun and under the weather here a little bit. You know, I got a hex beam. I've, I've been telling you about it on the uh, on the on on email. It's just fantastic. And I, you know, you're it's on funny. your
1: way to DXCC in a couple. of I know, of weeks. I know.
0: I'm gonna be. I'm a big gun, but I, but I feel like like I'm I'm a, I'm a hex beam pusher now, Pete, because all my friends. I go to them. I say, man, you gotta get the hex beam. You got the hex beam, Yeah, You gotta get a hex beam. Get a hex beam. But it's it's been really a it's been a game changer for me. I mean, I had a Moxon up there before, but the Moxon was kind of wasn't that great, and it was only for 17 meters. This hex beam that I've got, I got the K4 KIO hex beam, and I'm, I'm spinning it around with the, the old TV rotor that I used to spin the Moxon. I selected only three bands: 20, 17, and 12. Now, some people may question my choices. Some people may say, why don't you put all six? wire elements up there first i wanted to keep the weight down uh i, I really only have homebrew rigs for 2017 and 12 and i've been having a lot of fun with these three bands i could add the other bands later on but man it has been fantastic it's a small I am cost
1: to, to to add on it lower the quality bit, yeah, it's like yeah. i think it's
0: like 69 bucks an element yeah. to add another element but um I am working Japan regularly. I never, I very rarely even heard Japan. Now I'm working Japan when conditions are are even marginally good. I'm working Japan like twice in the morning. I'm working Australia. I worked Australia, I worked South Africa on the long path. I never worked anybody on the long path before. I'm working South Africa on the long path, which is 17,000 miles Heck, the earth is, Earth's circumference is only 20,000. So when you go in 17, you're already coming around the other side, 17,000 miles. And like you said, Pete, I got 52 countries on SSB since July 11th. It's not FT8. I mean, if it was FT8, I would have been DXCC a long time ago. But I decided to do it with SSB. And so I just keep a little little checklist here. And every time I work a new country, I put it on the list. And we got up to 52 yesterday. But really fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. And not only that, I, I look at the thing, I'm biased. I look at it, I think this is a thing of beauty. This is this is okay. It does not look like the, the broken out uh, you know, out in the wind umbrella. When people look at it, they think it's some sort of parabolic dish that's aimed at space. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So uh, I wish I could get it up higher, but I think I'm going to leave it where it is right now. It's probably about 30, 35 feet. It's kind of down in the trees because we have big trees around here. I'm sure that doesn't help, but for me to get it above the trees would be like a humongous tower, and I don't think I want to do that. So
1: we're doing all right, and it's uh, it's having I'm having a lot of fun. Now let me ask you a question. You yeah. were in a quandary several podcasts ago. Uh, should I buy something or should I home brew it? So okay, so your take on that now? Yeah, I, there's,
0: there I, it would have been really difficult for me to to accurately homebrew something like this it's just not in my kind of skill set i've never really been good at like mechanical construction i think i'm better on the workbench and it was great to have the the wire elements already cut to the precise precise lengths for resonance and for swr and for all that it was great to have the, the the fiberglass poles spaced out just properly it went together rather easily now Having said that, as I was building this thing, I found myself thinking, I could homebrew one of these babies. I could do it. So I, I found that K4KIO actually has the, the pattern. Well, actually, he has the pattern published for the critically important central support where the six poles come in. And he's published it on the internet. So you could just download this thing. And I got a piece of really thick plywood. I traced it out. I could cut this thing, get, you know, and the rest of it is pretty standard piping. You could buy the parts from K4KIO. So if I wanted to reproduce this thing kind of cheaper without the big, you know, fancy kind of heavy aluminum uh, center, uh, center support, I could do it. So I, I might do it. And especially as we go down to the Dominican Republic, I don't know if I would go with a full hex beam down there. I might go with another Moxon. And I might go just for 17, just to keep it simple and small and easily kind of retractable. But uh, man, I I I really like it. You know, the other thing I'd say is it's there's a big difference having 20 meters on there. 20 meters, especially at this point in the cycle, is uh, is is the kind of the workhorse band. And I I probably make 75% of my contacts on on 20, maybe you know the uh, uh, most of the rest on 17, and a few few on 12. 12 is rarely rarely open. But um, but great stuff. I mean, and I'm, I'm having terrific a terrific. It's great to be able to point the beam and watch the signal come up out of really out of the noise. And when you get the beam on him, boom, he's he's booming in. It's it's a big difference. So I would I would say if you guys are on the on the edge, uh, go out there and get yourself a hex beam. It's 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 really worth it. It makes a big difference. And you know I, the whole thing, it, it, the whole thing, the whole beam, everything, 25 pounds to to go up on the on the. I've got a little tripod up on the roof with a the, with the TV rotor, and it, it does fine. Hey, but the other thing I want to talk about, temperature stabilization. temps, Temperature stabilization. This all started with me. Well, it, it actually started before, but the thing that really pushed me recently was Dean, KK4DAS. He and the Makers Group, which I have, have joined up with at the, in the Vienna Wireless Society, um, are building a direct conversion receiver. They're having a lot of fun with it. And, I, and Dean remembered that I had built one using a ceramic resonator as the VFO. So he said, let me see if I could use a ceramic resonator for a VSO, VFO, perhaps to, to come up with a kind of an analog VFO that could be presented as sort of a sidecar project to the, to the makers group. But when he built it, he wrote to me and said, Bill, it seems kind of drifty. It seems to be drifting down. So I pulled out the one that I built, you know, he was right. It's drifting. It's drifting down, and it's drifting down too much. So then I said, okay, and I, and I think I think the component that was causing the drift. I may be wrong, but I think it was the 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 um, the the ceramic resonator was actually the one that was drawn. The way I tested it is I just moved the hot soldering iron close to it. Mm. And, and and as soon as it got a little bit hotter, boom, the frequency went 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 down. So, I think that might have been the component. And that's a bad sign because that's that's kind of the heart of the whole thing. That's that's the main source of stability. That wouldn't happen if you were using a, a, a real crystal. So I said, okay, let me try to build an LC VFO. So I I, I got I built an LC VFO, and this got me more into temperature stabilization because even sometimes even if I built the LC VFO using all of the, the kind of the NP0 parts, the air core coil, the solid construction, the, all the tricks that go into making a stable VFO, still, I would find that the thing was drifty. Now, it's really good to understand what's going on with drift. And for me, the best source of information on this was the VFO video done by Mike Mike Murphy, WU2D. If you go to his YouTube channel, he has VFO uh, Construction number 2, the second video in which he really focuses on drift. And when you read the articles on drift, you'll get all kinds of different information, some of it quite kind of confusing. But the bottom line is what Mike gets to. What you'll usually find is after you built the VFO and after you've let it cool down overnight from the soldering iron, You'll turn it on, and if you put a frequency counter on it, or even if you just listen to it, you'll find that it's drifting slowly down, down, down. And you've got to ask yourself, what does this mean? This means that one of the components in there has a positive temperature coefficient. It's contradictory. The frequency is going down, 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 because you have a component in there that has a positive temperature coefficient. The positive temperature coefficient means that as this thing heats up, the reactance of the component also increases. Now, the main suspect is usually the coil. Okay? So what's happening is, as this thing heats up naturally, because you're running power through it, so it's heating up slightly, as it heats up, the inductive reactance increases and knowing the formula for resonant frequency as the inductive reactance increases the Damn. frequency goes down 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 this is the most important fact that you need to understand about stability drift and temperature compensation as you approach it because the only way to counteract this the only simple way to counteract it is to try to include in the in the VFO components with a negative temperature coefficient all right so there's there are, there are all kinds of formulas that you could use to figure it out there's and and uh, people have recommended the construction of simple little ovens with thermometers and everything else and that's all good i might try that later on but i did with one of them was i just said all right i know that i have this temp this this drift so i'm going to try to include now some negative temperature coefficient components. I went through the junk box and wow, I found a bunch of fixed ceramic capacitors that are marked like N150, N750, N250. This indicates that they are not NP0s, but they have negative temperature coefficient. So then I tried, in the tried and true ham radio style, just some cut and try. I would take out an NP0 cap and put in Uh, an N150 and then I would watch it and see did it affect the drift sometimes it went overboard I put too much negative temperature coefficient in there and then the frequency would start going up 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 and up too much go back put a little bit less and I did this just a, a, a few rounds until I got one of the the VFOs really stabilized so all I, I really wanna say is that temperature compensation is not as scary as it sounds. The most important thing is to start out with an understanding of what's going on in your particular VFO. To have on hand a stock of really, this and really the fact that almost all of these temperature compensation caps that I found had negative coefficients, negative. I didn't find a single one with positive, right? Because the, the problem is the coil, okay? The problem is that the overall VFO starts out with a positive temperature coefficient, and you need to kind of counteract it by including components that have a negative temperature coefficient. So this has become something of a new hobby for me, temperature compensating VFOs.
1: Why not? Yeah. Why
0: not? <laughs> it's kind of an obsession. Uh, I'm also, Pete, following up on what you said, and I'm continuing to to buy components from HT37s and HT32s. You'll see one of them back over here. I bought a, a VFO off eBay. It's it, The other thing I found is one of the techniques that they use, and Halicrafters was the one that really started this and invented the circuit. There's a little split stator cap that you have, you have a split stator cap in there, and then you have two Capacitors of the same value but with different temperature coefficients. And so this makes the cut and try a lot easier. You could just sit there without soldering anything and just change that capacitor around. You're not changing the overall capacitance added to the circuit. The only thing you're doing is you move that split stator cap, you're shifting from a negative temperature coefficient to a positive or from a negative to a zero. And you're just adding a certain amount of negative temperature coefficient. Component in there, so that's a pretty neat circuit. I found out that they, they 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 patented it, so that was that was a lot of fun. So anyway, temperature compensation, not as scary as it may seem. This leads us to another rig, Pete, another one, Polyakov. While I was thinking about this, and again, I blame Dean kk 4 dis who now is the, the president of the Vienna Wireless Society. I've been getting back into this wild, Vienna Wireless, too. I've been going to their – they have luncheons every week. They have the, the, the makers group online. It's really kind of cool. There's some really technically oriented guys there, and it's great to be able to interact with them and talk about this stuff. But anyway, Dean reminded me that there's another way that you could achieve – more stable VFOs, and that is by running the VFO at a much lower frequency. I'm not talking about heterodyning the VFOs, about running it with a, with a mixer and another crystal. That's another technique. But this technique is, is really particularly useful for receivers, direct conversion receivers aimed at 80 and 40 meters. The circuit is called the Polyakov, named after a guy in Russia who came up with it. And it, it's really pretty cool. I have a, a, a schematic of the receiver down on the bottom of the, the, the podcast uh, page for this episode. But really it is, it comes down to two diodes and a switch. When the switch connects the two diodes, what the, what the mixer is doing is it's sampling the RF signal twice each cycle of the VFO. So if you have a VFO running at 3.5, in Seven. effect... It's, it's sampling at 7 megahertz, which is fantastic because, you know, it's easier, I think significantly easier to get a VFO stable at 3.5 than it is to get a VFO stable at 7. It's easier. So yesterday I had some extra time and I built one of these things. First time I ever built it. And it, it is really cool. It's, it's actually called the Louser Plus and it was put on uh, on Sprat. Back in way way back in two thousand two, Louser I found out it is um, it's, it was it was it was it was put out by a ham in Germany called DK2RS. Louser, I looked it up this morning. It means young rascal or imp. There you go. <laughs> Louser the Louser Plus. Anyway, um, I I got this thing working and it was fantastic. There's no there's no front end. There's no amplification. The only amplification is the AF amp. All right. So the signal comes in, it goes through one little LC circuit, hits the two diodes, mixes with the signal from the VFO and boom, it's off to the audio amplifier. And I put this thing together and within minutes I was listening to W1AW on 40 meters with the VFO running down at around 3.5 megahertz. Fantastic stuff. I really like this circuit because it's, it's a really good look at how switching mixers work. And if you can get your head around the Polyakov, then you get, you, 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 it shows that you're getting a real understanding of how a switching mixer really works. You know, I wanted to say our, our old buddy, Steve Rosen Smith, came back years ago when I, we were talking about this, came up with a, a cool, uh, another name for the Polyakov receiver or the Polyakov mixer receiver. And it's kind of it's kind of snarky, but I think people will get a kick out of it. He calls the whole thing "Vlad the Inhaler." Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> anyway, three cheers for Polyakov, three cheers for DK2RS, and for Sprat Magazine for putting this out. Uh, great stuff. Um, one other thing I want to uh, mention on my uh, on my what's been going on on my bench. I've been on forty meter AM more than more than normal with my uh, DX-100 and the Mate for the Mighty Midget receiver. Uh, during the summertime, lots of people seem to have migrated from their normal haunts on 75 meters, around 3880, 3885. And they've come up to 40 meter AM, 7290, 7295, even 7285. And so I, I've i been kind of following them there. And I've been using the DX-100. I've been making some... Um, Really nice contacts. So the other day I go on there and I hear somebody Brian up in I think Brian I think he's in Pennsylvania N3TBW, and we're just about to start a contact and then, poof the DX100 goes toes up. You know the feeling. It goes all of a sudden right yeah. at the bad moment it goes bad. So I was looking at things and not only that the DX100 is not a fun rig to troubleshoot. Heard City? Of, Huh? Hernia city. Yeah, I know. You could hurt your back with this thing. You could crush your fingers. There's all kinds of high voltage floating around in there. There's components that are older than I am. I mean, whew. but anyway, I decided, okay, my troubleshooting instincts kicked in. And I said, okay, what's wrong with this thing? There's no power out. It's not putting out the 100 watts of carrier. From the front panel, you, can, you could tell whether the oscillator is running or not. So, I tested to see if the oscillator, the oscillator wasn't running. So that'll do it. If the oscillator is not running on a DX100, there's not going to be any power out. So I qu- took a quick look at the schematic, there's only three tubes in the oscillator. When a rig like this fails, it's almost always a tube failing. The other components have been in there for 60 years, they haven't failed yet, they're probably not going to fail. Uh, I think the electrolytics have already been replaced on this thing. So. I, I looked at the three tubes. The 6AU, 6AU6 is, in the, is the actual oscillator tube in the VFO. They have a 12BY7 as a buffer, and I think a 5763 as a driver, something like that. But anyway, I, I just went in there and I said, okay, I'm going to just swap out these tubes. First, I swapped out a 6AU6. Boom, the oscillator's still dead. That's not the problem. Put the original 6AU6 back in. Swap out a 12BY7. Boom, the thing works. So it was probably the 12 BY-7 tube. But I was talking to somebody who's kind of a tube guy, and he, was, he expressed some sort of um, surprise that the 12 BY-7 went bad. He goes, those tubes never go bad. Why did that 12 BY-7 go bad? So if anybody can share their experiences with the 12 BY-7, I'm looking at you, Grayson. Uh, but let me know, is it, is, it, is it really that unusual for a 12 BY-7 yes. to go yes. bad? What do you think, Pete?
1: Yes, it's unusual.
0: It's unusual, yeah. And as a matter and of fact,
1: I, the 12BY7 is, is the driver tube and more transceivers than you can shake a stick at. Uh, except for the Collins, which uses 6CL6, but a lot of them, like in the Heath kit, uh, is 12BY7, uh, and the National, Helicrafters, they all use the 12BY7. So, yeah, that you know, is unusual. Yeah, I
0: don't know. I, 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 it, it may be. Swan? It, it, the, uh, huh? In the Swan, all the Swan rigs use 12BY7. Yeah. The only other thing I could think of is maybe the, the, the tube socket got corroded over time. And when I swapped it out, I, I, I resolved the corrosion thing. But that's kind of unusual too. So I may send this 12BY7 to Grayson for analysis in his fleet of tube testers that he has out there at the Grayson Labs. So I, I might see. But this yeah. anyway, it, it fixed it. And I got back on the air on 40. And I must say, I want to say one thing. I had a really nice QSO. With a guy who's a bit of a, a legend, a controversial figure, a colorful character, as we would say in the ham radio world. <laughs> in the ham radio world, when you describe something as somebody as a colorful character, that's saying something. I'm talking about uh, Tim, W-A-1-H-L-R. And uh, oh, yeah. I, I, one day, I, I just recently, I, after doing this repair, I turned on the rig and I heard Tim calling CQ from Maine. And he was coming in really strong. So I gave him a call. You know, we had a really nice contact, the two of us, it was good, good talking to him. He is, in my mind, kind of almost like a Frank Jones kind of character. He has a following among the AM people, and he really knows his stuff in terms of AM transmitters. I told him about my DX100, and he told me the things that I need to do to bring it up to snuff. Holy cow, a lot of work. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I may... I may, I may do some of it, but I I a lot of it just seems like a, a lot of work. But anyway, it was really good to talk to Tim. And he was uh, and I was really grateful that he took the time to walk me through what needs to be done to bring a DX100 into the 21st century. So I've been having fun. I mean, it's, it's kind of a weird combination. It's like sometimes I'm on 17 meters with the hex beam. And a few minutes later, I'm on 40 meter AM with the DX100. It's kind of a... Kind of a switch. So anyway, fun. A couple other things I want to mention. Just um, one other thing. I got my Dominican license, Pete. Yes. I got it. I am. I am. I am now officially Hotel India Seven Stroke November two Charlie Quebec Radio. Hotel India Seven is the eastern tip of the island. HI eight where I was before is uh, Santo Domingo in the capital. So I am now HI seven stroke N two CQR. The Solder Shack, the Solder Smoke Shack South (SSSS) Four S. is is on the way, and thanks to Radio Club Dominicano, my old friends in the in the Dominican Radio Club and the Dominican Telecommunication Authority Indotel for helping me out with that. Good stuff. Hey Pete, before we get to your bench, um, we got to do a couple things. First, a book review. First, I want to mention a book. Shh. Sheamus commerce too. Don't forget do shame. we got to do that, somewhere. too. Yeah. But first, first, wait a second. I, fi- I finally can see myself here. Hold on. There we go. Now I can see myself. Ah, I was hiding there. Look, this is the book, and I want to recommend this. It's called A History of the Universe in 21 Stars. Very apropos of our discussion of James Webb Space Telescope uh, by a fellow named uh, Giles Sparrow. Giles, Sp- Giles Sparrow. Anyway, he is uh, uh, from the U.K., the book is, um, is published by Welbeck in London. I've got the link up on the blog. Really good. It's, it's, there's a lot of kind of lore, it's history, lore, science about, about space and, and, and the universe. And I, I really like, he has 21 chapters covering 21 stars. And it's, it's a very pleasant read. It includes a lot of human information about the people who are making these discoveries and he presents a lot of scientific information in a lot of really easy-to-digest easy, easy to digest fashion. So if you're looking for a, a summer read, something to take to the beach, that's a good one. And, of course, Atoms to Amperes. That's the other one I want to push here right now. This is the the book by F.A. Wilson from Atoms to Amperes. Somebody put it up on the web. It's a free download. And so I would say, yeah, go for it. It's, it's there. I got the link up on the blog, and I'll try to put it up on this page, too. But, Pete, that brings us to the Shameless Commerce Division that you just mentioned. Um, we, have to, we have to talk about our old friend, Todd, K7TFC from Portland.
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> Why do you say that? He's,
1: well, look where he's on vacationing in France.
0: No, he well, he's he's gone from France. He's now in Spain. He's in Spain. They, well, hold on a second. I'm, I'm I have a very high tech note system here. My notes are falling down. Wait a second. Hold on. Um, I use a piece of masking tape and I tape it onto the bottom of the camera. People can see me doing this. It's embarrassing. All right, look. But but Todd is in. He's vacationing in Europe with his daughters. He's had a good time. And he and he, he's having a great day. It's a good time in Paris. He's having even a better time in Spain, my old stomping ground. So good luck on the trip there. Todd should be coming back today. He's coming back today. So the trip is over. But before he left, he and I were talking about his uh, the, his new kind of parts, boards, kit company. It's called Mostly DIY RF. Mostly DIY RF. I used his TIA boards in my 1712 rig. And he has many boards like this, and he's going to have much more. He's going to have some, I think, some standard kind of digital VFO boards that you could use that are be really useful. Stay tuned. Mostly DIY RF. I think it's going to be an interesting company. We'll put the links up onto the blog as soon as they, uh, as soon as the launch, the page launches. I think he's getting ready to launch. And one other thing I want to mention on the. Um, on Shameless Commerce, I really do need more viewers on YouTube. <laughs> Man, <laughs> it's like I can't win. I know more people are watching, but I'm looking at how many hours I got, and it keeps decreasing. And here's why. They want 4,000 hours in a calendar year. So every time somebody adds some, I'm losing some because we've the calendar year has moved on. So uh, anyway, I, I I hope more people will watch um you know uh you know pl- please watch some more <laughs> if you're working in the shack put on one of the old podcasts let it run there we get it we get credit but
1: well i i suggested getting linked up with the SETI software and you said that might be too hard what you probably need is a little advertising in these videos where we have some skippy bathing suits <laughs> in the we're front not, end. In the we're middle not, in we're the, not in going the, down that road. This is a in the family middle part, show, Pete. You no know, <laughs> I,
0: I, I, I don't think I don't think we should go that way. I mean anyway, there's a lot of people who'll do that. Our standards are higher here at <laughs> Sarusmic. We will not stoop.
1: You gotta get to, you gotta embed so, so No, like no, no way. There are,
0: there are young children listening to this yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah, Pete. Right. We can't do that. No. listen. Um uh, one thing I wanted to mention, and this gets, this is related to your bench, and I put it here kind of close to your bench, so it'll be kind of your bench, but I got an email yesterday from Farhan about a rig that he introduced at FDIM. Now, we know that he's been working on SBITX, which is the SDR version of BidX, which has come out. But, you know, to Farhan's credit, truly a, a ham for all seasons. He has also come out with a new completely analog HDR rig called Daylight again. I'm referring to it as the Daylight rig. It's based the name is based on a Crosby Stills Nash and Young song and I've got info on this up on the blog. But it's all analog. It's homebrew crystal filters. It's LCVFO. Yeah. It's everything that I love and most of the things that you hate. Be. So, um, anyway, I, I I wonder if you've if you've had a chance to look to look at it and, and any any initial reactions actions to the daylight rig or to the to the ESDR. I, I've EBITX. looked at either, just
1: not the time.
0: I know time. But when you get a chance, take a look at it. Maybe take it with you when you're going on one of the doctor's visits or something. But. Uh, I was also thinking that it's, this, this probably is a reminder that we need to get Farhan back on the show. It's been, it's been years since we had him here. But maybe this is good for two, two episodes. We could bring him in once, and you and I can talk to him about uh, the SBITX, the digital rig. And then just to be fair, just to be balanced. you know, We're balanced here. We, we do SDR, we do HDR and then in the hdr show we could talk to him about the um the analog rig you know and Pete, you you know more about analog rigs than 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 i ever will you've forgotten more about it, hdr rigs than i'll ever know so i mean it's not like you're you're just the, the sdr guy you could talk about about both uh with with great authority so i thought i think it would be kind of cool i well, would yeah. try to get get farhan to do it
1: what well, what would be cool is if he had couple rigs to demo just a a couple of seconds i'll be good yeah so so people could see and maybe side by side which would be kind of cool this would be
0: good you're listening for and we're we're coming after you buddy (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) hey pete what's i know your, your time is very limited uh but you know one thing even though pete's time is very limited he uses what time's available to continue to share a lot of tribal knowledge tribal wisdom he gets a lot of emails a lot of people asking him questions, and he's always very gracious in responding. But uh, tell us, if anything, what's been on your bench, what you've been up to radio-wise, Pete? Well,
1: one thing I got working on but kind of stalled a little bit because I ran into a problem, I built a tube rig, a wireless set. And uh, really kind of cool because uh, it has a front panel that's got a digital VFO, <laughs> which which is kind of like you got the tubes in the back and you got the digital VFO in the front. And I ran into a little problem, and it's going to take a little time to troubleshoot, and I just don't have the time. So, uh, regrettably, that's something I'm still going to be working on. But uh, actually, there's a couple of uh, videos, and it didn't sound too bad.
0: You know, i got to tell you about about this. This is like a, it's kind of a gripe, but I understand why they did it. When you come out with something cool like this, I'll put it up on the Solder Smoke blog. And then I'll, I'll 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 look around, like especially in Facebook, and try to find a, a group in Facebook that might be interested in seeing it. And one of the groups I go to a lot is the uh, the Vintage Ham Radio Gear group. A good, good, good bunch of guys. Do you know they rejected your Wilder set? Ooh. Well. It, well, it's got the digi VFO up front, you know, and that those are the rules. So I, I didn't complain. Okay. I I thought to myself. Their loss, their loss. You know, it's uh, you know, yeah. but uh, most most all the other stuff gets gets on there, no problem. But I, I thought that was a really cool kind of mixture of technologies there. Yes, the yes. The old and the new.
1: Yes, absolutely. Hey, I want to just shift gears a second and talk a little bit about something that you shared with me yesterday. You sent me an email about the AWRL. Ah as yes, has a, a new function called the Radio, Radio. Lab. Radio lab. lab. And and I looked at that, and I took two steps back, and I'm going to just do a small rant and maybe just share some of my concerns. Uh, there's a, a YL, who's an intern, did a tour of the new new newly found, newly established AWRL lab, and they got a call sign, W1HQ, W1HQ. I, I gotta say, I don't know how they managed to get that, but W1HQ. So she takes you on a tour of the radio lab. Quote, radio lab. Now, my idea of a radio lab is looking what's right behind you, Bill. That's a radio this, lab. This, this you, is a difference. Right that, that's here. a radio lab. Okay. For those who haven't seen the video, let me describe what it is. It's a movable table with two video screens and a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> That's the radio lab. And, and they have two humidity temperature control cabinets that they got uh, an ICOM 9100 in one cabinet and two flex radios in another cabinet. And, and their idea is that you can sit here and test radios. Well, how, how could you? And they did a really neat thing with wire management. They put like a baseboard. I like that part. Dry. That's the only it, part I like. And all the wires go in the baseboard so you can not trip over them, what have you. I mean, That, that was, pretty, was, that was pretty, pretty That was pretty nice. Pretty cool. But to test anything, it has to be in this cabinet. So you mean, there's a terrible install. So I, I'm just saying to myself, how can that be called a radio lab when all it is is two screens, a keyboard? Oh, she did have a key in one. There was not even the microphone anywhere there. And my concern is, in the old days of ARRL, a radio lab was what you see behind you, Bill. where people told, Well, Well, for instance, if I had a rig that I wanted to test on their antenna system, how would I do that? I know. How, how, how would I, if I sent them, if I sent them the P3ST and said, hey, put this on the air and see what you think, it would not fit in that scheme. And to me, that was, that was that's doing a disservice to the ham community, but it follows IARU. Contests and operating. That's what that radio lab is set up for. Contests and operating. And there was only one, there was 300 comments. Only one comment said, you know what, you went through that so fast, I don't know what you're saying. I mean, she says, this is this, this is this, this is here, this is this. He said take a little time and explain what it is and this guy says by the way i'm 77 years old so some of the stuff i need a little bit to soak it in now to to the the ham who grew up with computers oh yeah two screens the keyboard i got it but is that a radio is that really a radio lab how do you measure things how do you test i saw no test equipment there wasn't a soldering iron in sight no no some so calling it a radio you know what it is it's an AWRL demonstration room where they're demonstrating the latest hardware. You got two flux radios, and you got, and they had uh, some software. Oh, they did have the the uh, antenna controller. You know, you have a control panel. Yeah. It was on the, Did you see that was on the screen? Had a little little thing there. that You can watch on the screen where the antenna's pointing. But to me, that's the direction they're pointing is bypassing the foundation of what happened and how Ham Radio got started. Guys working in right behind you, Bill, and developing things and testing them on the air. That's not in the scheme of things. So how can I'm, that represent the interest of the hobby? Yeah, I know. I, if you're it, selling it, hardware, it's great. It's a—it's it, like a showroom.
0: Yeah, but it's like, like we always said. I mean, selling that hardware is very similar to selling a new cell phone an iPhone 13 or something, you know, because you, the, the, in the end, the user has about as much kind of emotional connection with the iPhone 13 as he or she does to the ICOM 7300 or, or any rig like that, where they're so complicated that they wouldn't even dream of opening the thing up. If it breaks, they just send it in a box back to the manufacturer and, it's, it's just, it's a different, it's a different approach. It's it's in many ways, it's almost like a different hobby. Uh, you know, I, I, I th- think you've had the same experience I have where you run into somebody and you find out that they're a ham and you say, oh, great. And at first you think, well, we must share common interests. And then they start talking about how their only interests are uh, Menu. contesting. Menu. Contesting, yeah. And, and, and you're like, well, good luck with that. You know, have fun. But yeah. That's not what I do. You know, it's yeah. not my thing. And and. So uh, I, I, I too. I, I mean, the, the 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 poor intern. She did a she did a good job. Oh, she yeah. obviously I, she I'm was not trying. Her her. I'm the yeah, concept. I know, I know. But 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 the but the but the league behind it. It's uh, it, is, it is it is it is kind of disappointing.
1: Let me circle back to your first comments about your beam. Ah yes, fifty-two countries, and none of that was on commercial gear.
0: Right, it was all on the homebrew. All Fifty-two homebrew stuff.
1: countries. You're on your way to DXCC using homebrew equipment. Yep. Okay. Think about that. How many people can do that? Because it's not being fostered as a part of the hobby. I know
0: it's. it, it, it is possible. A lot of, a lot of hams. Just when you talk to them, you tell them you're running homebrew gear. They're they're actually kind of incredulous. They just don't think it's possible. They, they, you know they they uh, some of them remember vaguely doing it unsuccessfully as a, a teenager. Others have grown up in an era where nobody did it, and they just didn't think it was it was possible. So um, it is it is possible.
1: <laughs> I, I want to share with you a couple of emails. There's a, a guy in South Africa, Mike. He's building the P3ST, and he had to order the parts internationally because he can't get them in South Africa. And I'm talking about double-balanced mixers, DBMs. Yeah. And they're, and they're hung up in customs in South Africa. <laughs> oh, man. A uh, $5 device, and someone once paid off so he can get his device <laughs> out of customs. <laughs> so, uh, but he's pursuing it. So then yep. I said, well, let me share something with you, Mike. I said, the other day I put my P3 ST on here. I got 15 minutes, and I made two contacts. Second contact, I said, I'm running a homebrew rig. And a guy said, which kid is it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. You, you get that a lot. I mean, yeah. the
1: concept was someone couldn't just take parts and build something without it being a kit.
0: I know. Yeah, I know. Well, at least somebody out there is, is, is building and you do get, you get a lot of, you get a lot of uh, kind of input from around the world uh, on 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 building stuff. Yeah. That gets us to the mailbag, Pete. Well, first I, you conti- I just, just want
1: to mention three things. Some tools. Oh, yes. Some things. Behind me, is evapo-rust. If you look behind the screen, you'll see evapo-rust. This is a $10, get about a half a gallon, $10 worth of rust remover. Absolutely excellent. First up, it's biodegradable, non-toxic. You can throw it down the sink, and it works. I saw <laughs> you, your pictures of when you just wiped it, and the rust just disappeared. Well, almost- you, had to, you had to soak it for 24 hours in a little tub. But, <laughs> but essentially, you pull it out of the tub, wipe it off, and then I use Neverdoll. Now, have you used your Never Doll yet? I got it sitting over there. I haven't used it yet. Well, you got to wear a mask and an aspirator. <laughs> oh God! Oh man. <laughs> you open maybe, that. Maybe I won't. Maybe you I'll op- just live with the doll. O- you, you open that, and the fumes.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like Never Doll could lead to Always Dead. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> but you saw the before and after pictures. I mean, it had rust on it. You know, it was a cover over an old boat anchor I got lying around here, and I, I cleaned it all up. And, I mean, it was it was amazing. No, that's, good. I mean, that's good. It was amazing that you can do that. And then the second thing is I bought an air compressor. I, I have that there. That
0: looks such a great idea. I wish I had one.
1: Well, my daughter did a, did a job for somebody. She's in the radio consulting business, did a job, and they, they said, we want to interview you for this interview. We're going to give you a, a gift card from amazon she said okay so she just sent me the gift card <laughs> so, boom, <laughs> boom. And
0: bezo, bezo sent
1: you an air compressor yeah and this really works good i mean you're cleaning up radios uh, the, the tools you can do the airbrushing with it sandblasting i mean if you have a rusty case you can harbor freight sells the sandblasting tool and the sandblasting media take it outdoors put an aspirate respirator on you can sandbass your 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 panels and then get them get them powder coated. So I mean,
0: good, this is good good use. This is cool you, stuff.
1: Yeah, this is, this is good.
0: 20, okay, 20, that's it.
1: Twenty nine pounds. Boss Stitch. It's a professional grade. It's not some toy.
0: Oh man, and it doesn't
1: cost that much. So you you know, so I. I would say, why would I buy an air compressor? And, and you know what I said to myself? Why didn't I get this before? Okay, I'm done. There you go. <laughs> No, fantastic! Yeah, I like it. Air compressors, There's a lot of things you could do with it. Sandblasting
0: will be good. Yeah. Hey Pete, um, mail bag. We got a lot of good mail. It's you know it's a summertime. People have, have have a little less time and a little more time because now they're taking their phones with them to the beach. They can email us from there, send us mail. Um, we got a great email from from Farhan. We were speaking about big antennas. I think I had sent you guys an email where this guy had taken two hex beams and put them, two of them up on top of a tower with a big boom across and two hex beams. Fantastic signal. I must say, but he also let on that he has four others. And so he's going to come up with an array of two over two over two up on this big tower, all hex beams. Holy cow. Anyway, I, I I mentioned this. I sent it around, and the best response I had to I have to say came from from Farhan V U Two E S E, our friend in Hyderabad, and he said, quote, "Whenever I look at the huge construction cranes in Hyderabad, I always think how one could make a 160 meter four element Yagi using it as a boom." <laughs> this shows that Farhan truly has the knack. Yes, indeed when you look at one of those construction cranes and you think hmm hundred and sixty meter rotatable four element beam yeah Boy, that that'd be that'd be that'd be good that'd be a big signal you, you'd you'd be the uh the main man on on one sixty with that thing
1: oh, oh, oh you you heard what's happened on one sixty haven't you what well there 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 was o n four n e or something n u o n four n u big hundred sixty m- meter dX have written a lot of books on it most of the 160-meter crowd has gotten away from contacts, FT8. Oh, my God.
0: The, 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 been, yeah, yeah. They've
1: been FT8-ed. FT8-ed, yeah. There's very few stations on 160 meters that are just rag-chewing. They all shifted nope. to 160 Well, well I, I, kinda, I
0: experienced a version of this. Farhan was asking me if I had ever been on 160, and I told him about my experiences with the DX100 on 160. And I said, man, I said, uh, it's a uh, it's a bit disheartening there because there's so few stations on 160 a.m it's it's fun but you end up talking to the same guys same two or three guys day after day night after night and after a while you kind of run out of things to say organ concert yes <laughs> yes <laughs> enough of that <laughs> hey but listen uh, Pete talking about big antennas we talked about Todd k7 TFC he's been in in Europe with his traveling with his daughters he sent us a report from Spain and he spotted what's obviously a large log periodic antenna in downtown Madrid. And um, I think he was assuming that it was some ham, some intrepid ham who had kept up a log periodic in downtown Madrid. And I said, I don't know, it might be, you might find out that there's an embassy underneath that antenna because at least back in the not too distant past, uh, embassies were usually equipped with some sort of HF antenna that let them, you know, maintain contact with the mothership. <laughs> I I imagine these antennas must be disappearing now because everybody's doing it over over the internet or Zoom or whatever. But but the, I sure I mean when you would see these big log periodics, I would always assume that there was some sort of uh, uh, official station underneath it. Um, we got a really cool email, kind of controversial, from Andreas DL One AJG it's called can biologists fix radios and what it is he, he shares with us an article that appeared in cell magazine so it's a it's a it's a really respectable scientific journal and it talks about the different approach to technology taken by biologists as opposed to radio technologists engineers and technic and and technicians and um Anyway, I've gotten some feedback from at least one person who is uh, a professional uh, neuroscientist. Yes, and uh, <laughs> yes, and said and said uh, it it rings true. <laughs> what was said in this article, which I found really kind of interesting and, and disturbing at the same time. So, I, check it out for yourselves. The, the the full article is there. It's got a a really intriguing title. Can biologists fix radios it's on the solder smoke blog take a look it's worth reading the article the article is like two or three pages and written for the layman so it it gets to the to the heart of the issue which is how the two scientific disciplines take very different approaches to understanding how machines work he looks at how uh Electronics people try to understand how a radio works versus how biologists try to understand how the cell works, and it's it's a very interesting kind of contrast. So so take a look at that. Um, got I some really nice...
1: I had a different view on that.
0: I know you you're talking about the scientific method.
1: Yeah, if if you're a scientist, you follow the scientific method, and there's a parallel between. The scientific method and what you do in the electronics world. And, and as a matter of fact, item number four in the five pieces to the scientific method, I immediately thought of our good friend Allison, KB1GMX. Mm-hmm. It says, control one, only change one variable at a time, <laughs> control all the rest. Remember what she said? Yeah, Don't yeah. Removing all the parts. <laughs> I know, one yeah. Item, I know, I know, I know, I've time. tried
0: <laughs> words, words to live by. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I thought about something similar in that. What he was talking about is how he was kind of lamenting the fact that biologists don't seem to take the kind of approach to components or substages or subsections that electronics people do. So, one of the things we always talk about here on the podcast is the need to build a circuit one stage at a time. The stage would be sort of analogous to an element of the cell. And then really understand how that stage works, what goes on within the stage, and how the stage is going to interact with the other stages. Right. I think what he's saying in the article is that in the biology area, when they're looking at elements of the cell, they really don't dig deeper into what the element, the component subsector, or subcircuit in the cell, how it actually works. All they're doing is saying, "Oh, we notice that if you put this into this, you get this out." And so they're, they're treating, it seemed to me that they were treating like the subsectors of the cell more as kind of mysterious black boxes instead of saying, okay, look, this sector is a feedback amplifier and this is how it works and this is how it should work. And that kind of understanding that we have in the radio world doesn't exist in the, in the, the cellular biology world. And that's why he was saying that, that there's been a, quite a bit of confusion there but i thought it was really interesting and and he he the guy andreas who sent it to us is a professional biologist and is a homebrewing radio amateur so uh so i think it was it was an interesting look at at different at two different worlds um we got a really nice email from janice ab2ra she runs a website called wireless girl she is an expert on hammerlins. And I was thinking about working. I was working on my HQ 100. Dean's been working on his HQ 170. And I wrote to, to Janice. And it turned out that Janice was my very first contact using my Tuna Tin 2 transmitter wow. way back when. She, too, was on homebrew. So, I mean, I built this Tuna Tin 2. I got on 40, made the first contact. I said, the rig here is homebrew. And the person on the other end said, mine, too. And I was like, Wow. CW is a different world, and to a certain extent it is, but unfortunately, homebrew is almost as rare there as it is on phone. But anyway, Janice, AB2RA, wireless girl, an expert on hammerlands, Great stuff. Got an email, a nice email from Australia, from VK3YE, our friend Peter Parker down there in Melbourne. I had asked about a guy. I found his website, Owen Duffy, VK1OD. I have links on it on the blog. Owen writes some really, really sharp technical stuff. Some of it pretty deep, some of it more kind of mainstream ham radio stuff. But I just wanted to know who Owen was because I had never heard of this guy before. And he's been putting out some really excellent blog material for a long time. So now I have his his blog in the... Uh, In the blog roll along the right-hand column of the of the Solder Smoke blog, but Peter told me a little bit of background and told me what how how long Owen has been involved in in the ham radio game. Great stuff. Um, Similarly, we got a good email from our friend in the Netherlands, Lex Papa Hotel Two Lima Bravo, who has been leading the charge for the placement of IBEW stickers all across the continent of Europe. Thank you. Thank you for that, Lex. But Lex talk, shared some thoughts about what constitutes homebrew radio. And he takes, a, I think, a pretty eclectic, a pretty broad approach that, you know, what you, what, what could be considered homebrew. And again, everybody has uh, different uh, kind of definitions about this. And this brought me to um, a, a, a comment that I posted about an article in Ham, in um, uh, Hackaday. Hackaday had an article on an, a home, supposedly homebrew FM receiver. But when you looked at the schematic of the receiver that was supposedly homebrew, it was almost embarrassingly skimpy. There were like five different screenshots of the schematic. But each of the screenshots, all it showed was a little box with three or four wires coming out, little box, three or four wires coming out. So they were talking like one box was the power supply, one box was the main chip, one box was the oscillator, one box was like the Arduino. And it just connected all these things together. And I, I wrote a comment and I just said, look, everybody's got a different definition. But for me, this stuff is not really homebrew in the way I would understand it because it's just a collection of kind of mysterious black boxes and the the mystery the the radio the the essence of of the radio has sort of disappeared into those black boxes. Now people disagreed. Some people agreed. Some people disagreed. Again, your mileage may vary. I always say it's it's all a hobby, so there's no, no sense in getting all fired up about this. Everybody's got a different view. Whatever floats your boat, you know, as they used to say. And so. But that uh, there was that, that that comment did provoke quite a bit of mail.
1: Hey, I, I forgot to mention something to you when you just were talking about the stickers. Ah, yes. Okay, so I spotted something the other day because of something in the current news about the uh, Sandy Hook, and and the shooter used a, a weapon called the Remington Bushmaster. Yeah. I never, I don't know what a Remington Bushmaster is, so I said I want to look this up. So it's uh it's an AR15 like weapon but forget that to the side they were hawking all this paraphernalia and and they were showing clothes if you have a bushmaster you have to have this piece of clothes the guy had a t-shirt that says I fix stuff because I know stuff oh my god <laughs> was this a, where 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 did you see the t-shirt it was on the Remington Bushmaster ad you know how they have the main yeah. man, And then they sell the Google ads to the side. And it says, I fix stuff because I know stuff. He's stealing. He's stealing our sticker. <laughs> yes, yes. We're yeah. going to get, we're gonna get the, the attorneys at Dewey
0: Cheatham and how on his I case, Pete. I fix
1: stuff because I know
0: stuff. Well, you know, let me, have, let me mention something about the sticker. I love our stickers. I really love them. They're great. And thanks to Jesse, who came up with the sticker and launched this whole thing. But I think we need to modify the sticker. The IBEW thing confuses people here in the states, because here in the states, people yes. think that it's something to do with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, which is a big union in the United States. Oh, all yeah. the all the cable workers are in the IBEW. Um, so yeah, so I think I'm going to put out a call there for to Jesse or somebody else. If you could modify the uh, the sticker a bit to get, get away from maybe the IB maybe the IBEW and Morse would be okay, but it looks, it very much looks like an IB, uh, a sticker for the union, which I think is kind of misleading, especially to people who look at it here in the States. Uh, however, Pete, I must say I recently visited uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, which is the home of the university of Virginia, where my daughter is, is studying and um, went out there and, that You know that that city is, is covered with IBEW stickers everywhere. I'm, I'm not going to say who put them there, but when I walked around the town, I noticed quite a number of them. Now, they were all placed in locations that could not be considered kind of the subjects of vandalism. In other words, if there was a, a, a box or something with like a dozen stickers, now there's a dozen and one with IBW. There. Baker's doesn't. Yeah. You know, there's a sticker culture out there. I didn't even know. This was a whole whole thing out there. And, and you know, we are, we are catching the wave, as I said. But somebody needs to modify the sticker. So uh, please, please help us you, out with you, that. You
1: know another potential use of those stickers? What? When you send letters in the mail, uh-huh. sticker on the back of the envelope.
0: It could be could be. It could be good. But I, I think we need visibility. We need to be out yeah. there. We need yeah. to be out there. I um, fix
1: stuff because I know stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, man, stole, stole you stole your slogan, Pete. <laughs> we, got, we got a nice email from France. F4IET. He built a DSB rig. We've heard from him several times. Great guy. And he's built a double sideband rig in France and is on the air. Double sideband. taking off. Finally. It's finally getting the credit it deserves. Um. We got an email from Romania, from our old friend, Ciprian. What a great name. He finally got his ticket. He got a call sign, Y06DXE. Thank you, Ciprian. Good to hear from you. Um, Josh, G3MOT, sent us a really good video about the Vanguard satellite and IGY, the International Geophysical Geophysical Year. year,
1: 1957.
0: And 57 to 59. 59, yeah. Yeah, a good time and a good time for propagation too. Cycle nineteen, you were on the air, I was just getting born, but um, good stuff, man. And, and the the video he sent about the Vanguard satellite and all of the things that they learned from the Vanguard satellite it's amazing. They learned about the shape of the Earth from the Vanguard satellite. The other thing that I was struck by when you look at the size of the Vanguard satellite—it's like a it's like a grapefruit. It's it's really small. It's a tiny little thing. I've seen. Um, you know, models of it at the Air and Space Museum, but it's really striking how tiny it is, but but good stuff. I we have got, a,
1: uh, that was a test question when I was in college. A test what question. What was that? How did they put the satellite together? What was the final assembly? Oh, wow. And what's and the answer? The answer, well, everybody was, because we were doing a, uh, it was a class of manufacturing methods. So everybody's saying, well, they're using exotic welding and they'd, uh, they did some kind of heat shrinking. You know what the answer was? Screwed together. They took the two halves, the grapefruit, and they had very fine threads, and they just screwed it together, and they had a neoprene seal on there so you couldn't get the environment into it. But the answer was thread it and screw it together. That's how that was put together. It wasn't welded. wasn't heat shrunk. <laughs>
0: did, did, you, did you get it right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't either. <laughs> good, good, good question.
1: Yeah, but, but it was relevant at the time because this is like in sixty-one, sixty-two. So after the satellite had been up, yeah.
0: Wow, good Manufacturing stuff. Manufacturing
1: methods. Yeah, how they, right, they put it together. All right, there you go.
0: How they put it together. We've been getting a lot of good email from our old friend Dave Wilcox, G A W P E. Yeah, And he's sent, sent so many great comments, great ideas. He was the one to talk about Old so, old Smoke, Old Solder Smoke podcasts. He's listening to them, blasts from the past, great stuff. But he recently went out and bought Chuck Penson's Heathkit book and blamed it on me. He said, curse you, Bill Mara. And anyway, he got the book from uh, from Chuck, and uh, I'm sure he's going to enjoy it. That's we what get, you
1: do when you're a retired physician, right? That's right. Yeah, you, <laughs> you read these books. <laughs> Uh,
0: we'll have another one, another retired physician in a moment first, but Rogier continues to send many great articles. This is Papa Alpha One, Zulu Zulu, uh, an old friend, sends so much great stuff, parts and everything else. It's always great to hear from Rogier. Thanks for everything you send, Rogier. And speaking of retired physicians, Bill, Alpha Hotel Six Foxtrot Charlie. Aloha, Bill. He's out there in Hawaii. Girl what a watching. great place to be a retired physician yeah. in Hawaii. Aloha, indeed. Anything, Anyway, he wants to build stuff in his retirement. We said, great, go for it. We gave him some advice. You gave him some advice. I gave him some advice. Basically the same advice. You know, start slow, get some books. There's no one source of wisdom or knowledge on this. But um, anyway, uh, he, he he got that. And I will just say aloha, Bill. Mahalo, mahalo. There you go, man. Have fun. Grayson KJ7 UM our old buddy uh, hollow state for the radio amateur the author of the book tells us that he's working on an si 5351 i I gasped I, I sat back in my chair I said, is this an indication of the end times I mean this this could be when you when you hear that Grayson is working on an SI 5351
1: well Pete, you know what he saw, he saw the wireless set. He saw the I, that's video, it. It's saw your fault. So the video of the water set, and he said, "Oh, I got to build one
0: of those." So, so now he's doing it. Yeah, I know. That's how it begins. It's like it's like crack cocaine. I'll just try a little bit in the beginning, and the next thing you know, you're hooked.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Careful there, Grayson. Stick with the tubes, buddy. Um, Mike K E zero T P E tells us that he's been trying to help out solder smoke by by watching some of the videos. And he says he, he watches the videos while monitoring six meters. I said, man, you're going to have a lot of time to watch videos because, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, <laughs> six meters. But, hey, Mike, we appreciate it. K-0, K-E-0-T-P-E. Thanks very much. Got a nice uh, email from our old buddy, Chris, KD4PBJ. He was watching a video, I think it was about Parks on the Air, and he spotted uh, Don, KM4UDX. Who is a, a well-known member of the Virginia of the Vienna uh, Wireless Society's maker group? Uh, Don is the one who likes to put uh, LEDs Please. all through the circuitry, and I, I, I'm with him. I'm with you, Don. I have the LED on my LM386 board. Great! So uh, he uh, he was spotted by Chris, and Chris sent kudos about the uh, the Parks on the Air video. Great stuff.
1: Well, well you know, uh, PBJ's grandmother worked at Hammerlin.
0: Remember really, that? I didn't.
1: Yeah, I, he, he was saying right. he told us that. Yeah, he told us that she worked on the line.
0: All right, good, good stuff. Uh, Mark W B eight Y M V is building a superhet receiver. Great stuff. That that puts you in the big leagues right there, Mark. But he's having trouble getting the four fifty five KC IF can filter to work. Yeah, I I think you know I mean people have written about how you could make a good filter out of four fifty five KC IF cans. I think uh, Doug Dumas wrote about this, that, you know, you just take a bunch of 455 KHC cans, string them together, and you get a pretty good fit. I've never been able to really make this work well. It always ends up really broad. So I think you sent him some words of wisdom, too. So that was, that was good. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wish him luck. Hang in there, Mark. You're, you've got most of it done. Finish up that receiver. Uh, Walter, our old buddy in Florida, Ka4kxx, longtime home brewer, Sprat contributor, wrote a great comment on the uh, the daylight again rig. I put up, a, you know, Farhan came out with a blog post in which he details the thinking behind the daylight again rig. Great stuff, and uh, uh, Walter puts a good comment on it. I, I think that Farhan's post is going to keep us all busy for a long time. Uh, because it's filled with so much good information on how to how to build a receiver with modern kind of IMD standards, modern um, dynamic range standards, sensitivity standards, selectivity standards. I I really I, I I've said before that I want to be more rigorous in my construction, not only of VFOs but of uh, of superhet receivers. And Farhan is a really good mentor through the daylight again rig. I'm going to spend some more time. Digging into that blog post that he put out. Um, speaking of of uh, India, we got a, a really cool email this morning from Ramakrishnan. Ramakrishnan is a guy who wrote to us several years ago. His old call sign was Victor Uniform Three Radio Delta Delta, but he's got a new call sign now. He's Victor Uniform Two Juliet X Ray Nancy, and he said that he had been reading the Solder Smoke book. But his little daughter started uh, doing something with the Kindle. Either she lost it or or blocked it or something. So that stopped his reading of the book. But he recently rediscovered or re the Kindle and has been reading the, the Solder Smoke book, really enjoying it. So thanks for those nice comments. He's also building an SDR rig from a junk box. But he's been having trouble. You know, it's amazing. The things you have trouble with. He's having trouble getting the LM386 audio amplifier stable. I said... We've all had that trouble. We've all experienced motorboarding, so I gave him some of the standard advice on grounding, bypassing, and all that kind of stuff. Keep the leads short. Keep them shielded. You can't have a big long wire going into the audio input port because it'll just pick up.
1: Remember that guy had three foot of wire. He, <laughs> he wanted to know why it was picking up.
0: Oh. Finally, the last thing, Pete. I want to end on a note that'll be positive for our readers, our listeners. And that has to do with the shelves of shame. There was an email that came out from Farhan or Tony, Tony Fishbowl, G Ford uh, W I F about shelves of shame. I think Farhan was the one who started it. He uh, he has reorganized his shack and he has a large, he said, shelf of shame rigs that didn't get that he didn't get to work that he just sort of gave up on, threw on the shelf. Now he's got them organized in plastic boxes on a top shelf. They're kind of glaring at him. Pete, you very magnanimously pointed out that you've got so many shameful projects that it's become an entire room. <laughs> yes. I said, I said look, we should, we should tell people about this. It's, they could find it very cathartic. You A know? guy could say to his wife, look, Martha, Pete Giuliano, even Pete Giuliano, he doesn't have a shelf of shame. He has a room of shame. Tony claims that his shelf of shame is not too big, but he, 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 he concedes that it's just because he recently moved. So I'm sure it was bigger beforehand. He's, he's one of us. All of us, have, all of us have these things. So don't feel bad if you have a shelf of shame. Just remember, Farhan has one. I got one. Pete has a room full of one. And Tony had one before he moved. Pete. Anything else for our listeners? No, you gotta got to get it. going. Your duty calls, man. Yeah.
1: Medication right. time. Seven threes from the left coast.
0: Seven threes from Northern Virginia. Thanks a lot, Pete. Take care.
1: Ooh, that's awesome.
0: The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at sodersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to sodersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from Lulu.com.